0: Lauren, and Mustafa, our kids can be dismissed to be with our team in Transformation Station downstairs, follow our leaders there. And I'd like to welcome the rest of you to the Gathering of Redemption Hill Church. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here. And um, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you want to turn on your app, you can uh, flip or scroll down to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 12 this morning. And uh, as Pastor Reddy uh, mentioned uh, and then prayed for our students, I, I just want to let all of our students know that I really feel for them uh, during these days, all right? So it's really good to even see you here, all right? I know you had like if there's ever a, a week, you know, kind of that excuse, we all make excuses in life, even to come to church, anybody, you know? I mean, I don't, but you know, but, but, but you, you know, okay, I'll stop there. Uh, so anyway... I'm proud of you for being here, okay? And I know the end of the semester, it's probably for most of you. I know you guys go to really prestigious schools and stuff, a lot of you, and so there's a lot of work piled up, uh, but, you know, I just want to let you know this, okay? Um, hope you still love me. Um, for, for any of you that, that still have, you know, three exams over the next two days, maybe 55 pages to, to, to hammer out, um, I, I really, it's hard for me now, okay, maybe some of you other, you know, graduate graduates, you know, can identify with this. Um, it's hard for me to not experience just a small sense of pleasure out of your pain, okay? So just still love me, I'm, I'm just being honest, transparent up here. It's hard, it's hard for me because of all of the years that I suffered like you, right, all of the I hear that, right? All the, all the books read, all the papers written, you know, um, all the late nights, all the—I mean, I learned to drink coffee, you know, in, in college and grad school. So now I'm now I'm an addict, like many of you. Um, but um, yeah, I just—I uh, I, want—I want to encourage you this morning, okay? Um, and at the same time, I can say that I really enjoyed my, my years as, a, as basically a lifelong student until just, you know, six years ago. Um, and particularly the last two years of my doctoral studies, I zoomed in on the life and ministry uh, in this area of applied theology of this man named Octavius, what a cool name, huh? Octavius Winslow, okay? This, this, this man and I became very good friends over these two years. He was a 19th century British pastor. He actually spent some time in the United States from the age of about 8 to, to 26, if you're keeping score. And, um, and so he, he pastored and really wielded great influence uh, throughout England. He penned over 40 books, not to mention many other articles and such. And so uh, I spent two years just trying to uncover everything I could, analyzing all of his works to zoom in on actually his preaching methodology. That was the focus of my dissertation. Uh, But what I learned was this, that that even though I was studying how he went about his business and preparing and delivering sermons, um, I actually had a lot more to learn from him than just that area. So uh, I learned a lot more about just maybe his view of ministry as well as what, Personal devotion should look like just in my daily life. And then also, I learned a lot about how we should view mothers. You say, well, why is this? Well, one of his roughly 40 works was on his mother, Mary Winslow. He actually penned a memoir about her life. And so, what he did was he took uh, many of the journal entries that uh, he uncovered, as well as letters that she had written and received. And what you need to know about Mary is she did not live an easy life. She was the mother of 10 children. And for many of her parenting years, in fact, for most of her parenting years, she was a single mother. You see, when Octavius was just seven years old, his father died, leaving Mary to be the mother of these 10 children. And yet through the grace and strength of God, she left an indelible mark on her children. And this is what Winslow captures in uh, this memoir titled Life, Life in Jesus. And so uh, one, one excerpt out of that uh, memoir is just kind of, I don't know about you, but when I read a book, I've got a, I've got a pen, I've got a highlighter, and, you know, I kind of notate in different ways. Like, I, I don't want to forget that, you know, and, and, and listen to this, this statement about Mothers, as he's reflecting on his mother. This is what he said. How powerful and deathless is the influence of a holy mother. That influence employed in planting the first seedlings of thought and shaping the first actions of childhood still lives to instruct, admonish, and cheer in manhood's riper years. Honored and privileged are they around whose toilsome path yet lingers, check this out, a spell so sacred, a power so gentle, and a charm so holy and persuasive. Now, don't you wish that you listened to this guy preach every Sunday? I mean, this guy could put together some words, you know what I'm saying? But, but how, how powerful, how deathless is the influence of a holy mother. Now, I don't know about you moms, but as I think about influence and as I, as I wanna be a person, a man, a father, a friend of, of influence, I often think about influences occurring in these monumental moments and monumental attempts to love and serve those around me. So if you just kind of translate this to motherhood, this could be kind of like, you know, working so hard to, you know, take your kids to Disney World or some kind of trip special like that that they would love, or perhaps it's sending them off to, to school one day and these kind of monumental moments that uh, happen over the course of years of motherhood. But, but what I want to remind us today is this. Influence is not usually built on these monumental moments as much as it's built in the monotonous and mundane moments over time. It's not the monumental moments that that add up to influence usually in so much as it is the mundane and the monotonous. And so all of the diapers changed all of the lunches packed all of the rides to school all of the hours at the ball fields or the dance classes all of the conversations before bed or over a cup of coffee just hanging out with your son or daughter all of these moments simply simply the encouragement of your presence that's what adds up to an influential life. I think this is why Winslow would have said how, how powerful, how deathless, because of the consistency over time. So I don't know about you, but I'm about to get emotional up here, right? And I'm not even a mom, all right? But, but you see, I've, I've, I've received this kind of love and care for 35 years from my mother, Brenda Turley, so... I love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. She's gonna watch this video, by the way, so she'll see this probably tomorrow. She's usually if if no one else watches the video, you know what I'm saying? Thank you. Give it up for Brenda. That's right. Come on now. Thank you. Love you. They love you, Mom. Um, Okay, I'll stop. Uh, She she will. uh, I won't stop. She will watch. She will watch the sermon videos. All right. If if none of you other fine people watch the sermons, my mom will. Thank you. And, all right, and there's another mother that I hang out with every day, and she takes care of a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and a two-year-old on Tuesday, and I get to see her influence over time. And so, happy Mother's Day, Marsha. I love you because you're downstairs. That's right. And check this out. She's not going to watch the sermon, all right? So you're going to have to tell her that I said that, all right? When it, when it comes to pouring out our lives, I want us to think about this idea. It's, it's, not, it's not the monumental stuff. It's, it's the monotonous, it's the mundane, it's the consistency over time. And as we turn to John chapter 12, what we're going to consider is, check this out, the surprising value of death. And, and you would say, like, well, Tanner, like, if you have your kind of, like, PhD in this preaching stuff, like, why would you talk about death on Mother's Day? Like, that's a little bit morbid, you know? It's like, not, it's not morbid day, it's Mother's Day. Why are we going gonna to talk about death? And I think that's a really great question. What does what the surprising value of death have to do with Mother's Day? And what I want to tell you is it has everything to do with Mother's Day and motherhood and everyone's life in the room, no matter what stage of life we may find ourselves. So so here's the thought I want to, to, to give to you today. I pray that you will leave with, and that is this, that the monotonous is monumental when living is dying and dying is living. The monotonous is monumental when living is dying and dying is living. Okay, let me just catch you up to speed in the Gospel of John. Jesus is nearing nearing the end of his life, all right? And uh, he is now in, in Jerusalem, the final week of his life, and the crowds are just continuing to flock around him because his popularity is rising, right? He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. He's been reflecting the kingdom of God and, and these miracles that he's performed, uh, You know, some of them kind of a big deal, like raising people um, from the dead. Uh, so, so people just wanted to, to discover more of who he was, including as we start to read in verse 20, where it says that there were some Greeks there in verse 21 they came to Philip, Who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So here we have these non Jewish people who had adopted many Jewish customs and forms, and yet they weren't fully on board with belief in the God that Israel worshiped or the Messiah that God would send, who was now standing in their midst. And so Jesus, rather than answering their question directly, actually uh, just just kind of goes, it seems almost off topic uh, in verse 23, when he doesn't answer Philip's question, Andrew's question immediately, but but he says this, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So is there a, is there a connection between these, these Greek men and, and women who wish to see Jesus? Is there a connection between their request and Jesus' answer? And I would say there actually absolutely is. Because what Jesus is, I believe, saying here to his disciples and to everyone who can hear is this, if you want to see me, if you want to know me, then you need to know me as I will be revealed just a few days from now in my death. So I just have a couple of encouragements for us this morning, they're very simple, okay, and the first one is this, see what Jesus gained through his death. Verse 23, he uses this word, the hour, and it's a, a word that pops up nine different times through the gospel of John. The first three times it's used, it's always pointing forward. Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. People were trying to, to uh, they were making requests of him. They were wanting to make him king. He's saying, my hour has not yet come. In other words, it's not time for me to depart from this world. My, my ministry is not yet over, but, but now he's saying, hey, the hour's come. It's time. My death is impending. It will be very, very soon. You say, well, Tanner, what did, you say, Tanner, what, what did Jesus accomplish uh, by his death? And I'm just going to give you three, not, certainly not a comprehensive list, by the way, all right, but, but three great accomplishments of the death of Christ. Okay, number one, Jesus reconciles us. Everyone who would look to him and believe in him, he reconciles us back to God. This is, this is what, he, what, what, what what this passage is. If you kind of put it all together, right? We're so, we're so guilty. If you're, if you're like me, sometimes you just kind of read the Bible and you take this verse and this verse and you kind of don't relate the two. But remember, these, these Greek uh, people were wanting to, to talk to Jesus. Like they weren't yet in. They weren't yet reconciled to God. And so what Jesus is, is saying here when he's saying, hey, I'm going to die. And, and my death is going to bear much fruit. What he's saying is that through the cross, through my sacrificial death, there are going to be more people welcomed into the kingdom than we're ever in before. And there are going to be people that are unlike the ones that are gathering in the temple right now. They're going to come from all ethnicities, all languages, all tribes, all places of the earth. Aren't we thankful that God is a global God? And so he even echoes this and says it another way in verse 32, if you'll check that out. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw, check this out, all people to myself. So Jesus, when he says, and when I am lifted up, he's referring to his death, and and John even explains that uh, in in the next verse, verse thirty-three. He said this to show what kind of death by which he was going to die. So when Jesus is lifted up, he's drawing all people to himself. And you said, well, Tanner, does that mean like everyone's in? Like like just whether kind of like however you respond to it, like if is everyone in? And and clearly that's not case, otherwise why would Jesus die if just like everyone was in and it didn't matter kind of how people responded to the God that we all, like we all have once rejected and kind of gone our own way. So it doesn't mean that like every person on the planet is in, no matter kind of how they, you know, look to God and and seek to, to live their life before him, but it does mean that every kind of person is going to be drawn in to the cross, check this out, like a magnet. The cross is like a magnet for anyone. Okay, no, no matter your background, no matter the, your 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 first language. Jesus, with his outstretched arms and his his death on the cross, he welcomes all people in to be reconciled back to God. But this happens. How can we be reconciled? Right. So to say the word reconciled means that we were once separated. And the Bible says we're, we're separated from God because we've chosen to be separated from God because we've chosen to separate ourselves from God because we haven't wanted to live as God wants us to live and we haven't wanted to glorify him or reflect him by how we live our lives, right? We just, we know that we don't, we don't even live up to our own standards. Can we just admit that? Like, I, I set some goals for myself and man, I have fallen short on nearly every single one of them, okay? So still, you know, think, think well of me even though that's true. Um, but, but if I don't even meet up to God's, I mean, to my own standards, then why should I be surprised that I don't meet God's standards? You say, well, that's, that's tough. That leaves us in like this predicament, like we're separated and we may not even want that. If you don't want that, that's good because that's why Jesus came. He came to bridge the gap back to God. He came to, to, to reconcile us back to God. And so we're reconciled through looking to Christ and what he has done for us. It's it's really it's really as simple as that. God has not made this complicated. We we as human beings we want to complicate things, right? It's like if we're going to get to God, then we must you know, it must be that we have to do like 1,001 things to kind of please him to earn our way back, and, and God's just saying, look, you can't do that. That's impossible, so I'm going to do what you can't do, I'm going to send Jesus to pay the price that you couldn't pay. So we look to the cross, the, the great 19th century pastor, well known, more well-known um, truly than my man Octavius. His name was Charles Spurgeon, all right? And as a young man, Spurgeon, maybe you've heard of this name, uh, preached at the masses in England when just the, the, the kind of religious fervor was at a very feverish pitch. And the most popular uh, preacher of his day, they call him the Prince of Preachers. Some people say he was the greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul. You know, they just kind of make these kind of claims about uh, him. But, but But his story of how he actually came into the faith was this. It was a It was a snowy uh, morning, and there was a great snowstorm, and so he couldn't make his way to uh, the Baptist church where he normally worshiped, so uh, he just had to stop at a a detour and worship at what was known as like this primitive Methodist church, and so uh, the snow must have been so great. We get that around here in Boston, right, these these massive snowstorms. The snow must have been so great that the the primary preacher for the morning couldn't show up. And so this this man, as Spurgeon describes him, um, as uh, perhaps, let me just read what he says. Uh, He says, the minister did not come that morning, snowed up, I suppose. A poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. You're gonna wish I was like this guy in just a minute. Um, the text was, look unto me, all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, listen to, listen to Spurgeon's conversion story. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. He began thus, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, that does not take a great deal of effort. It ain't lifting a foot or a finger. It's just look. Well, a man need not go to college. Okay, don't drop out. Um, a, meet, a man they need not go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. Many of you, he went on, look to yourselves, there's no use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. Then the good man followed up his text in this way Look unto me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I am hanging on the cross. Look, I am dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me. Look to me. When he had gotten about that length and managed to spin out 10 minutes, he was at the length of his tether. The sermon was over 10 minutes. Can you imagine that? Then, check this out. I'm not gonna do this today, but check this out. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. He then said, Young man. You look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to having remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. (laughs) However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, and you always will be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. And so it's in this moment that God, God has to do this, right? He opened Spurgeon's eyes to his need to truly look to the cross, to see that Christ offered him everything he ever needed, a true way back to God, just by simply looking, not trusting in what he could do, but trusting in what Christ had done. This was the moment that turned Spurgeon's life around. And if your life has been flipped upside down by Jesus, this is, this is your story in a different way, I suppose. I suppose you didn't have a preacher call you out. We'll try to keep you from that today, all right? Um, but, but what an amazing story. Just the simplicity, the simplicity of looking to the cross. Jesus reconciles us back to God by us turning to Christ in the cross. Okay, number two, Jesus brought God. Glory to God. Verses 27 and 28 say this. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it. These verses remind us of Jesus' prayer in the garden of Gethsemane just before he's, the night before he's going to die and go to the cross, he he prays before God his Father, God, if this this cup could pass, this cup of your wrath that that will be poured out on me instead of them, if it it could pass, let, let it be so, yet not my will, but your will be done. And so here he's saying, Father, now my soul is very, very troubled. And what shall I say? I I I want in in my humanness, Jesus was fully God, fully man. In in my humanity, I don't want to experience the cross. Who would? But yet in his humility, in his love, even in his, his compassion, he says, no, glorify your name. In other words, reveal how great you are and continue making yourself known through my death so that all people might be drawn to you. I mean, what a great great prayer, by the way. I mean, if you want to learn to pray, I mean, this is like the best advice I can give everybody is like just look at the prayers in the Bible, look at the prayers of Jesus. If you just pray, Father, glorify your name, I think you could just pray that prayer, those what, Father, glorify your name. That's four words, thank you. Okay, you can just pray those four prayers the rest of your life. You wouldn't have to add any other words, and if you really meant those four words, like you're good to go. You're good. Father, glorify your name. Going to work, Father, glorify your name. I'm ticked off at my, you know, friends and co Father, glorify your name. My kids are being kids. Father, glorify your name. And what does God say from heaven? I love this. He says, I have and I will. So, 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 so here's, here's just kind of, you want to get to know God, here you go. God is perfect God is glorious, which means he has inherent perfections in and of himself. He has no needs. He's self-existent. And the glory of God is just him making known how perfect he is, how awesome he is, how, how, how great he is. And so he's saying, I have been glorifying my name in your life, Jesus, up till this point, and I will continue to do So as you go to the cross and as you, yes, rise from the dead, Jesus brought glory to God through his sacrifice on the cross. And then finally, Jesus defeated the work of Satan. If we go back to verse verse 31, Jesus, we can just, you can just see verse 30. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Jesus knew. But then verse 31, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. New Testament scholar Murray J. Harris says this. The cross was the occasion for a definitive conflict between two rulers between good and evil. And we're not dualist, okay? We're not saying, like, there's a battle, eternal battle between good and eternal battle between, you know, evil, and and they just kind of equal, and then one maybe will win out. Like, that's not how it works. God is sovereign. He's God. No one else. Nothing else is God. But there is still this, this cosmic conflict and Jesus defeats the work of Satan. This is what um, Colossians 2.15 is talking about when it's speaking of the cross. It says he disarmed. He di- this is a great picture. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him through the cross. Jesus Reconciles us back to God. He glorifies God. He defeats the work of Satan. He gains the victory that you and I so desperately need to get in on. And we can just by looking to him. Just by looking to him. And so my question for you this morning is a question we want to ask, like all the time at like, have you looked? Have you seen what Christ has done for you? And I know we hear that when we're in this room of, you know, close to a couple hundred people, and it's like, you know, like, this is like, that's for everybody. Maybe it's for everybody else because I'm so bad, and I've been through so much, and God would never accept me. But, like, he's, he's done this for you. Like, you singular. Like, you were on his mind when he, when he died on the cross. He extends this gift to every single individual person. And so if you've never received this gift, then receive it today. Like, you don't have to wait. You don't have to, like, man, this is a couple more weeks. Maybe I'll get this thing right. Or, like, no, just look. Just look and receive what Christ has done. See what Jesus has gained, accomplished through his death. But then, then number two, and this is so good, find, find your life through your death. Find your life through your death. Let's, let's go back to verses 24 through 26. I think this is just a passage. I can't, there's no way I can do it justice here this morning. Okay, so just please go back to these verses. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And we're saying like, okay, so we see what Jesus did. He bore much fruit, he draw people to God, he glorified God, he defeated the work of Satan because he was willing to die so that he could accomplish so much. And we're just like, pause, thank you, Jesus, that's really good for you. But 24 goes to 25, And so 25 says, Jesus says, whoever, so now the focus isn't on him, but it's on whoever, including us, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will, will honor him so so let me just translate this in short what jesus is saying is this if you want to get in with him if if you truly look to him and into what he has done for you then the natural consequence will be to fall in love with him so much. Okay, this is not guilt-driven, okay? This is all grace-driven. This is driven out of love. He loves so much. Now, his love is so powerful that it changes me and changes my loves. everybody follow me? And so now I love him differently, and I'm loving everyone else differently, and I'm certainly not loving myself nearly as much. I still love myself in some elevated ways that maybe I shouldn't. I should kind of tone that down, but he's helping me with that. And so now I'm starting to reflect him, which, oh, 24, a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. Now it bears much fruit. So now I'm losing my life. And when I lose my life, I'm actually finding it. These, these old school saints, I couldn't even tell you the century, right? It doesn't really matter. They would talk about, check the, the, the cruciformed life. I love that word. If I, you know, I don't have a tattoo, but maybe that would be up in the running if I got one, like cruciform, you know? Like, that's a weird word. What are you talking about? In the shape of a cross. That, That our lives would be in the shape of a cross, cruciformed. You say, well, Tanner, how do we live a cruciform life? Like if Jesus is saying to, to live is to die and to die is actually to live, then what does that look like? And, and so I would just say very simply, to die daily. This is what Jesus said. Whoever loves his life loses it. John 12, 25, there it is. He said it in another way in Luke nine twenty three. If anyone would come after me, like if you really wanna be about me and follow me, you will deny yourself, you will take up your cross and follow me. Paul, who... Had his life radically changed by Jesus, would then say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He puts it so blunt in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I die daily. In other words, like I'm dying to my, my selfish desires that that conflict with God's desires for my life. I'm starting to, to put others before myself like, like Jesus did. If you, if you live a life, receive this, please receive this. If you live a life of sacrificial love, I can guarantee you, I don't make a lot of guarantee that, I can guarantee you, you will leave a mark on the lives of those around you. Sacrificial love, like our God you will influence other people around you. So we die daily, and we do so out of a deep devotion. Again, it's, 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 it's whoever loves his life and loses it and hates his life in this world and will keep it for eternal life, but it, then it's, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. So, so out of our dying daily We are dying daily because we're following the one who died. So central to everything about Christianity and being a Christian and saying no to some things, so we can say yes to a lot of other great things, is because of him. So, so so this, this kind of just kind of, if you'll let me say this, like this just kind of like, you know, gives religion the boot. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people don't want to come to church today because they're like, "That's re- I'm not up with the religion. Religion is performance to earn or God's acceptance or approval. But, but that's, that's, not, that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus is, look at what God has done for us and now we're just gonna live in light of that because he's that awesome and he's, he's loved us so much. So it's out of this deep devotion. Man, I have a desire to do it. You don't have to tell me like, That's how God is changing us, right? I do this because I I get to do it. I want to do it. Because actually, like, here we go, not in the notes. Like, Hebrews 12 says this, therefore fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, Endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So, so Jesus went to the cross, why? For joy. And now we die daily because that brings us the greatest joy in Him, changes us from the inside out. That's what cruciform living is all about. And, and so you say, Well, Tanner, that's, that's nice. What does that bring us? Brings us a lot. What do we gain? We, we bear fruit for God like Jesus. We produce these things out of our heart that look like Jesus. We gain eternal life because of Jesus. We dwell forever with Jesus because of what He did. And, and then, verse 26, it just kind of messes me up. It's hard for me to believe. Uh, he, he, he says, If anyone serves me, the Father will what? What does it say at the end? The Father will honor him. Wait, no, no, no! I'm supposed to honor you. Why would why would you, the God of everything, like we just don't even think about that? That is a compute like every single atom in in existence. Like God is over that, that that huge God, and yet God would even care about me, much less honor me? So good for us to consider on Mother's Day, huh? We want to honor mothers today. Mother, if, if anyone is dying to self on a regular basis, like whether they're doing out of a deep devotion or not for Jesus, like it, I would say there's a lot of dying to themselves in motherhood, Right? I mean, I asked Marcia last night if you ever want to improve your sermon, you just ask your wife. And so, um, you could laugh. Um, what is true? So I guess that's why you didn't laugh. But um, yeah, like, what, what, how could I encourage moms? And she said stuff like this. She said, you know, your kids are his, and 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 just keep running because God gives beauty to the mundane and He gives purpose to the grind. And then, and then she said this, I thought this was so good. She said, a lot of times we, we mother out of the horizontal and we kind of forget about the vertical. And and, and what she meant by that is that as, as we pour ourselves out, as we die daily for our children, this applies to dad's too, right, but moms, like as you die daily and pour yourself out and sacrifice for your children, as you want to see them change and be raised up. You know what the, the paradox is, the irony? Is that as you do it out of a, of a devotion for God, that God is changing you. God is actually raising you up as you struggle and work through the mundane and the monotonous. He's doing something monumental in your heart. So, as we conclude, this morning, I want to give it up to the moms in here today who die daily out of a deep devotion. I want to pray for those that, as Pastor Reddy mentioned earlier, that that, that struggle maybe on Mother's Day that it's hard and 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 you have to you have to to, to continue to submit your desires to God as part of dying daily when we're. We, we wrestle with these areas of discontentment in our lives or frustration or sadness or grief. But, but I want to kind of bring it back and include everyone in this. Like, I don't think there's a person in the room that would say, you know, like, I don't want to live an influential life. It doesn't matter if you're a mom, if you're a father, if you're, if you're single, if you've, you've kind of seen all of life and you're near the end. It's, we all want to have influence. And this influence comes through... I believe most greatly through, through knowing God through Christ. So if we, if we had time to finish out this chapter, what we would see is that there were many people who didn't believe in Jesus because of their unbelief. Their hearts were hard toward God and they didn't want to receive or hear what God had to say to them. But then there's another kind of piece to it. There were some who believed, but it says down um, in verse 43 that they, they didn't want to admit it. They didn't want to acknowledge it before other people because they loved the glory of man more than the glory of God so, so 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 here's the here's the deal unbelief keeps people from knowing God through Christ but unbelief keeps even Christians from making God known through Christ and so what we need to do is just die daily out of a deep devotion Say, God, I want to know you more, perhaps for the first time, perhaps just to grow deeper and deeper and deeper in my relationship with you so that I can be a person of influence, so I can make you known to others, so that people can get in on what is so good that I've come to know. And so the invitation is to enjoy this. The invitation is to to turn our lives over to God and experience all that he wants to give us through his death. And to remember, the monotonous is monumental. When living is dying, and when dying is living. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, who spared no expense, including his own life, to bring us in, to draw us in when we see him clearly for who he is. God, you're so gracious to just kind of draw us in like a magnet. We may not even understand why or what's going on, but just that there's something within us. You're probably, what we would understand is your Holy Spirit, yes, your Holy Spirit that is saying, we need that. He did that for me. And so, God, I pray for us today, whether someone is new to Christianity or or someone has been in Christianity for the, the majority of their lives, God, I pray that we would look to Christ and find life, and then out of that, that we would find our living in our dying. Gotta pray for the moms in the room. They often have a thankless job. Yes, we honor them on Mother's Day, but most of the, the time they, they don't get the applause, the appreciation they deserve. So gotta pray that you would remind them of the importance, the the, the influence that they can carry as they journey through life and the raising of their, their children. And got to pray that, that we as a church would, would always value families, that we would come alongside fa- side of families, we would come a- alongside mothers and, and dads, and that we would support them and that we would love them and that we would do life together in such a way that, that we, are, we are experiencing your best together as a, as a family here. So God, draw us close to you throughout this week. God, remind us of the sacrifice of Christ. That we might enjoy you. That we might live for you, not out of this kind of burden, I've got to do this, but man, what, what more would I want? What, what, more, what better step could I take than, than this one that, that ultimately honors you? And God, thank you that you would welcome us in forever. To dwell with you, God. It's more than we can imagine. And so, God, we say thank you. In Christ's name.